0: We also welcome our first-time guest and a personal friend of mine, Walter Gaynor II of Boss Locks, content strategist and amateur Netflix enthusiast. Welcome to the
1: show. Thank you, thank you. I'm excited to be here talk about this film I think is the greatest, the greatest movie ever made. All right, I love the enthusiasm.
0: My friend, this is probably an episode two years in the making at least, and it's been way too long. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's crazy. It's been two years. It's uh, It feels longer just because the past two years have been crazy, but um, you know, I've loved just watching the show just continue to grow, and uh, y'all are doing an amazing job. Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: So, Walt, with all new guests to the show, we'd like to ask a few questions to allow the audience to get you to know you. So, first, just tell us a little about yourself, what you do, and why you love movies.
1: Yes. I am full in on this podcast world. I produce podcasts literally part of my job as a producer. also work with a lot of people to develop content strategy and um, have my own show, Boss Locks, which is all about really advocating for uh, the Black community. and I really hone in on creating resources for people working while Black, feeling discouraged about their career, interested in exploring entrepreneurship. I'm just looking to build communities and support systems for people. So um, outside of that, I just love um, going on adventures and I think maybe movies. That's probably why I like them. It just takes me on this little adventure where I could be in the comfort of my home on the couch uh, eating popcorn. So yeah, I love uh, binging, love movies my entire life. Uh, When uh, when I was younger, my parents split and um, anytime my dad would come and visit, we would always do like the same three things like clockwork. And I was there for it every single time we would go to Waffle House. We play laser tag and um, go watch the movies, whatever movie was out. My mom was not always happy by the choices, but I always loved it. So yeah, movies been a big part of my life.
0: Always love to hear the family connections with movies. And I, I do feel that obviously doing a podcast with my dad, that it's kind of a generational thing to be handed down like love of sports movies is always something that passes from parents usually, or at least parental figures down through the generations. So that's, that's great. That's, I love some of those stories. So number two, what is your favorite movie and why?
1: Oh man, you know, I I saw you wanted to ask this question. I freaked out. I was like, "I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's funny though, actually for the longest time I would tell people man on fire like that movie, I could rewatch it like forever. Actually, still to this day, if it was on, I would not hesitate to sit down and watch it again. Denzel did this thing. I love action movies. Um, I think when I was younger, it's probably Rush Hour. In fact, I remember when I was little, I I'd seen it before but wanted to watch it again but didn't know what it was called. I was asking the like the um, <laughs> I was asking like the people at Blockbuster. I was like, "Yo, uh do you have that movie with the black guy and the white guy?" I didn't realize Jackie Chan wasn't white at that age. <laughs> but and they're just like, oh, "I don't know. What what movie is that?" Like I just kept like and I looked at my dad like, "Dad, like, you know?" And he's like, "I don't know." We just we just had to go home and I remember feeling sad after that. So, I think rush hour growing up, man on fire for most of my life now, I'm super indecisive. It might be today's movie.
0: I think it might be easier
1: for you to answer who's your favorite actor. Is it Denzel? Hmm. No, that's not easier. <laughs> that's not easier. Denzel, definitely. I think definitely uh, the one of the best, definitely goat status. But then I think about like different genres, right? And then different, uh, different big movies. Like Will Smith, actually, probably one of my favorite actors. And I think about it because I just end up enjoying all the things he's doing. Whether they're good or bad, I'm just here for them. All right. Then the last question. What makes a good movie for you? I love uh, really good plot change. Not seeing it coming. Uh, really like getting lost in the storytelling. But um, also when I could kind of forget who a big-name actor is. Like in the movie, it's like I see them. And it's like, oh, no, you're not so You're this character. You're like fully in it. I love uh, movies that... Um, Kind of give you that suspense, a little bit of thriller as well in it, too. I, mean, I just love that true, like, I'm, I'm lost in the movie. If I get lost in the movie and, like, forget I have a bowl of popcorn there, that's, that's that feeling I look for. Excellent. So let's dig into
0: tonight's movie. Tonight we apply our patent-pending Stanley rubric to the modern crime classic, Training Day from 2001, directed by Antoine Fuqua, written by David Ayer, Starring Denzel Washington, Ethan Hawke, Scott Glenn, Dr. Dre, and Snoop Dogg. This movie was nominated for two Academy Awards for both primary actors, with Hawke earning a Best Supporting Actor nomination and Washington earning Best Actor. Whilst you've done a lot of work with the black community, and specifically I know that you've led some different discussions as it relates to policing in America over the last few years since I've known you. What about Training Day do you feel is an accurate representation? And what lessons do you think we can draw from this story?
1: I think the whole thing, right? I mean, it's like nothing was, um, I mean, outside of like, you know, like the different scenes when he's like almost going to die. Then all of a sudden something happened. Like all that stuff's kind of like fantastical only happens in a movie. But I think uh, they, they just did a really good job of making it all seem very realistic in fact um i didn't know this at the time but like uh you, you know i always wonder like is it based on like a real thing like is this a book at first or something else and i saw that um it was based on a certain dirty well, inspired by certain parts of it were inspired by an actual like cop who was known as a dirty cop and would like uh steal things out of evidence <laughs> and uh pressuring other police officers to get rid of evidence and everything so i thought that was really cool just seeing how they were able to make it like that but then also i think um there were little uh subliminals throughout the movie that kind of touched on real things like there was this one scene um ethan hawk's character he went and uh saved the girl from getting raped and afterwards he was in the car with uh, denzel he's like you know that chokehold wasn't that banned he's like i mean yeah but i was getting my ass kicked and i was like at the time like i remember when first watching i just like skip past it but Watching it now recently, I'm like, oh, wow, that's kind of interesting. Because this was like a movie back in 2001. Talked about a move that was uh, banned. Years later, that same move like ends up leading to a really viral moment, leading to a lot of protests as well because someone died. A black person died from it. So there's like little instances that kind of spoke about like real things happening while still creating a movie that you could enjoy. So um, I thought it was a really cool piece being able to touch on real things while still being um, fantastical. And um, as far as the work I do, um, a lot of it's been around accountability and community development, kind of creating those relationships and also being in a place to help people hold other people accountable, both members of the community and also police officers. So I've been enjoying um, having those conversations with all parties involved. It's been really interesting.
0: I think there are a couple of different distinct dynamics going on in the film. And one has to do with power. But I also wonder if race is a distinct character within this movie. I think a lot of the movies that we would necessarily identify in a modern sense as being accurate would normally have the race roles reversed, where Ethan Hawke would probably be the senior officer and Denzel would usually be the younger beat cop, at least as far as uh, how they would normally distinguish these things. And it's kind of interesting to have that completely flipped.
1: Yeah. Another thing I didn't notice, but, you know, this movie is huge in the black community. So I guess seeing someone in this uh, almost like a leadership position, even if he was a bad guy, <laughs> for real, it was uh, kind of a, I guess, unique dynamic. Uh, something to see on TV as well. Um, Of course, at the same time, you know, he himself has an answer to others. So, um, yeah, it's a, a something there. I think they did a good job at kind of adding some subtleties here and there.
0: Well, I do think he also eventually does have to respond to his community, especially at the end where they all gather around him and they have the option of supporting him, the guy that they've kind of somewhat held up or being his eventual undoing. But dad, let me take it to you and bring you into the conversation here. This was your first time watching the movie and you were audibly appalled when watching it with me over the weekend. What was it about this film that
2: had you so disgusted? oh, I don't know, maybe it's the fact that I've spent 34 years of my life trying to uphold the law and to uh, do what's legally right and morally right. And yet, seeing this and realizing how legitimate and realistic it is in some regards, it just brought back memories, you know, back when OJ was being tried I used to have conversations with my pastor's wife who couldn't believe that there's no way O.J. was going to be acquitted. I said, of course he's going to be acquitted for two reasons. One, prosecutions never have black Americans who have enough money to pay for the forensic evidence analysis that they need in order to get acquitted. And two, the LAPD plants evidence all the time. And it's going to come back and get get them. It's going to bite them because we actually have somebody who's got some level of money and notoriety and can worm this out and is not just going to have to go because he's poor and has a public defender. And of course, what ends up happening is he's acquitted. And it's exactly what I said, because I want to believe that the system is not corrupt and it doesn't have racial blinders on but I know better I've been I spent 17 years as a criminal defense attorney and I know exactly what happens and I know exactly how there is a huge dichotomy between white and black America when it comes to criminal justice and I understand how police behave and I've said for years that there is a thin blue line between police and criminals Mm. There are a lot of police officers who, if they wouldn't have made just a choice to be on one side of the law, would have been on the other quite easily. It's not everybody. I have a lot of friends who are police officers, but there's a certain element of them that prove their their ilk, You know, whether it be that they abuse their power, they abuse their situation, they are abusive to individuals who they stop and interrogate. I would love to say that we try to remove the bad apples, but I don't think it is likely. All as I have to do is I spent about I've watched I watched the video of uh, Officer Chauvin three times and realized exactly what was going on and and couldn't believe that it was happening. And couldn't believe the other officers didn't did nothing, and unfortunately, I see that in this film, and I guess that's what really got me is is it just stirred up all the things that I tried to not think about.
0: So, in your mind, you're appalled because it's too realistic.
2: Yes, because I think I think it is realistic, and I and I would point out when I started doing some research it was based on a real situation, which was. The Rampart scandal of the late 1990s. The LAPD had a Rampart division that had a anti-gang unit. 70 officers were associated with misconduct, unprovoked shootings, unprovoked beatings, planning of false evidence, stealing, dealing narcotics, bank robbery, perjury, and covering up evidence.
0: So I do want to make a clarification the first draft of this script was actually written before that came out, but they adapted certain parts around the characters that had to be tied in to that situation because you couldn't not use that material. And for those that also believe that this isn't an accurate depiction of elite crime-fighting units that have ultimate power within police departments, look at something like uh, We Own the City from HBO earlier this year with the Baltimore Police Department that's also based on a similar scandal of the last few years. So it's not that it's out in left field. I don't think this is happening in every podunk junction that has a county police department, but it's certainly not 0%.
2: And what I'm saying is, is there's certain elements in almost every police department, sheriff's department, state patrol, that this exists. It's not total and it's probably not to this extent, but there is abuse of power being undertaken on a regular basis. I see it, I've seen officers lie under oath on the stand at preliminary hearings. So Walt, what is your relationship to this movie?
1: So this movie, like I mentioned before, is a huge, 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 huge in the black community. Um I think even when I was younger, before I even saw it, I knew exactly what it was. Aunts and family members with the posters on the wall throughout the house. Like this was a huge deal outside of just like the symbolism, just like as far as like just making a really great movie, like everyone, everyone, everyone knows this movie, even if they hadn't seen it from, you know, Denzel that, I think that took Denzel to a different level for real. Like from the woman, just like <laughs> thirsting after him to the man, just admiring like, yeah, that's what i am talk about. But um, yeah, that, that movie, um, did something for real that's lasted. I mean, this movie um, inspired other movies even. So now this movie has always been a big part of, I guess, the culture and my life even before I even seen it. And then by the time I did, it was just like, man. And then just like um, all the other people got a chance to be in this movie as well, like you mentioned, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg. Um, just had a, this movie had a lot of really great moments that um, just lasted forever.
0: Yeah, And that's certainly a perspective we don't often get on this show. We often talk from the perspective of two middle-class white guys. So (laughs) we don't often get the perspective of why is Tyler Perry so great?
1: (laughs) Oh, man, that's a that's a huge topic, like huge debate, huge debate. I like I couldn't give one answer without getting hate from somebody. So. (laughs) So, Dad, what is this movie about?
2: Power. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely.
0: There, there's a lot of power in the name of the film, because I think that even though he's a cop to begin the film already, and he's been on the beat for 18 months, he really hasn't gotten his full training as to what it is to be a cop until he goes into this elite task force. And I think there is an element where, yes, not every cop goes to quite this extent or this level, But there are certain mentalities about how you have to serve in order to be a cop. You and I have discussed on many an occasion. I think I have an advantage over other people if I were to ever go to law school because I grew up in a a lawyer's family and thus I know how to debate. I know how to argue that the general population just doesn't have the ability to by the same theory there is a mentality to the profession of being a police officer. And even though you might go through basic training or whatever the police academy type of training is, until you kind of get into the thick of it with your fellow brothers, quote-unquote, I don't think that you really have the full training day quite yet.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. There are a lot of strong ties on like good and evil and sacrifice like the amount of times uh he was questioning like is this actually the way like just do i need to truly just sacrifice just spend the next 18 months of my career doing all this i do not agree with in order to have a true opportunity for my family my wife uh, the young baby that was just born there's a lot of hope there too and then just like how like the balance between the two like uh, and also let's like uh It's crazy too, because even though there's a lot of corruption and um, evil being done, like some of it was, like as Denzel was saying, like for good. Um, The guy, I I don't know if he was—I forgot his actual name—but the Sandman, the guy that they actually ended up stealing from and shooting. Before that moment, we just thought he was a guy who uh, happened to do some, you know, dirty things. But he was really just selling drugs to kids, and he was saying, "I spent ten years trying to get this guy. You can't just call the cops on him. You have to work the system, play him." for years and so it's like man is he doing good and at what point like where's the line where's the line
2: well you just have to look at the conversation um when denzel went to see the three wise men and get permission to pursue scott glenn's character i mean they're so cynical and so self-interested and motivated i mean it's yeah
0: so let's get some further background on this film then dad do you have a plot summary ready for us
2: I do. Seeking a change from his quiet beat in suburban Los Angeles, Jake Hoyt, Ethan Hawke, is assigned to the narcotics division of the LAPD, which polices some of the roughest and most violent areas of L.A. His trainer is Detective Sergeant Alonzo Harris, Denzel Washington, a 13-year narcotics veteran who has long since blurred the line between legality and corruption. With Harris as his guide, Hoyt will be pulled ever deeper into Harris's world and will be forced to choose his future path.
0: Thank you. Cast for this movie, Antoine Fuqua as director, David Ayer as writer, Denzel Washington as Detective Alonzo Harris, Ethan Hawke as Officer Jake Hoyt, Scott Glenn as Roger, Eva Mendes as Sarah, Cliff Curtis as Smiley, Raymond Cruz as Sniper, Noel Guglielmi as Moreno, Dr. Dre as Detective Paul, Peter Green as Detective Jeff, Nick Chindlund as Detective Tim, Jaime P. Gomez as Detective Mark, Snoop Dogg as Blue, Macy Gray as Sandman's Wife, Harris Yulin as Detective Doug Rosalie, Tom Beringer as Detective Stanley Stan Gurski, and Raymond J. Berry as Captain Lou Jacobs. Recognition for this movie, Training Day opened on October 5th, 2001. The film opened at number one, grossing $24.2 million. In its second week of release, the film grossed $13.4 million, staying at number one. The film stayed in the top 10 box office until the seventh week of release, landing at number 12. With an estimated budget of $45 million, Training Day ultimately grossed $76.6 million in the U.S., and 104.9 million worldwide. Training Day was nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actor for Ethan Hawke and winning Best Actor for Denzel Washington. The film currently holds a 73% among critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 69 score on Metacritic, and a 3.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. In June 2003, the American Film Institute named Alonzo Harris the 50th greatest screen villain of all time in its AFI's 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villains. Training Day received a subsequent TV series from CBS in 2017, but was abruptly canceled after star Bill Paxton suddenly passed away. Currently, Warner Brothers is producing and in the process of filming a prequel film that would take place with Detective Alonzo Harris just days before the Rodney King verdict, named "Training Day: Day of the Riot." I know you're excited for that one, Dad.
2: I I actually would find that interesting.
0: You got to really get the right casting though for Alonzo. Yes, you mm. would. I
1: wonder if they go with LaKeith Stanfield.
0: That wouldn't be bad. I think he might be too old. Hmm. Uh, he would be good. Yeah. I just I just wonder, I mean, he's got a tweener feeling to him. Like, he doesn't feel like he's in his mid-30s, even though I think he's like 34, 35. But he also doesn't feel like he's in his early 20s, where I would think you'd need the character to be. True.
1: True.
2: Wait.
0: Eh, I don't know. It's not like you can trust HBO Max or uh, Warner Brothers these days anyway.
2: Yeah.
0: Did you know? Denzel Washington has frequently said that Detective Alonzo Harris is his favorite character that he's played. Did you know? Toby Maguire was seriously considered for the part of Officer Jake Hoyt. He even followed undercover narcotics officers in Los Angeles for two months and gained weight for the role. He was dropped when Ethan Hawke, Fuqua's first choice, was finally available for the shooting schedule. Did you know? About the casting of Ethan Hawke, Antoine Fuqua said, quote, There's something innocent about Ethan. He's such a nice guy, but there's something in his eyes that tells you he's seen something. Did you know? The coffee shop in the beginning of the movie, which was, incidentally, the first scene shot, is the same shop that was used in Seven in the scene where Morgan Freeman meets Gwyneth Paltrow to talk. In the window in both movies, the writing reads Quality Cafe. The Quality Cafe is also used in Gone in 60 Seconds, Ghost World in 2001, and Catch Me If You Can. Did you know? The license plate on Alonzo's car is ORP-967, a nod to Officer Rafael Perez, the disgraced LAPD officer who was born in 1967 and on whom the character was based. Did you know? The film had several police technical advisors. Among them is Detective Sergeant Brian Davis, an LAPD veteran who is one of the most respected and decorated officers of the infamous Elite Special Investigation Section. Did You Know? With his Best Actor Oscar win for this film, Denzel Washington became the first black actor to win two Academy Awards. Dad, do you remember the other one he won for? Glory. Very good. Another movie we've covered on the show, if anyone's interested. Did You Know? Alonzo's car is a 1979 Chevy Monte Carlo. You were trying to guess the year,
2: Dad. Yeah, and I knew it wasn't a 78, and I didn't think, I thought seven or 1980 had a more revolutionary design, so I thought it was a 79, and I guess I was right.
0: With some modifications. It has Dayton wire wheels with bullet caps, a Grant steering wheel, a Flowmaster exhaust, and hydraulics. Added to this, the car is outfitted with a sunroof, which that era's Monte Carlo never had. Did you know? Roger's snail joke that he tells Jake symbolically means the man represents the streets and the snail represents just another random person falling victim to the streets. The size difference between the two represents how big the streets are and how small we are. The big guy kicks this tiny little helpless snail and breaks his shell showing how easy it is for the streets to tear you up. The joke means that street life will run you over and tear you to pieces and won't even remember or care the next second. You're just another victim, a tiny snail in the way. No matter who you are or what you've been through, on the streets, you're just another person. When the snail comes back, the man, the streets, don't give him any respect. The streets will tear you up and not think twice. Don't expect any respect in the street, regardless of who you are or what you've been through. And with that, we will take our first break and we'll be right back. Before we jump back into the episode, next week we will be discussing a Steve Martin classic of the 1980s with a star-studded cast, Parenthood from 1989, directed by Ron Howard, written by Lowell Gans, and Babalu Mandel, starring Steve Martin, Keanu Reeves, Rick Moranis, Joaquin Phoenix, and Diane Wiest. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. All right, gentlemen, let's move to best performance. Does anyone not have Denzel? No. Gotta give it to him. I mean, the writing's pretty good. The direction's pretty good. But Denzel probably puts the hammer down as a Hall of Fame performance in his career.
1: Yeah. And he's not even technically the main character, is he? (laughs)
0: No, and that was weird because they nominated him for Best Actor, which he won, even though he had not gotten any of the awards going up to that night. And so the heavy favorite was actually Russell Crowe for A Beautiful Mind, which won Best Picture that year and Best Director. But he actually is less in the film than Ethan Hawke, who got nominated for Best Supporting Actor.
1: Yes. (laughs)
0: Movies will figure out a way of nominating their best people for whichever category they want. But anything else to add on Denzel here?
1: You know, uh one what scene stuck with me actually, and I was thinking about this when I rewatched it, like towards the end. Um it's like a spoiler-friendly show, right? Oh yeah, go right ahead. Okay. I I actually introduced I um re- like I know people who haven't seen the movie, and it's funny, I actually recommended it to somebody uh she hasn't seen a lot of movies and she watched it she's like walter that was a terrible movie <laughs> she was not feeling it but uh you know i just don't judge your taste anymore after that but yeah some people still haven't seen for whatever reason but um yeah at the end when he's getting shot up like that that was actually really good like he was just like just it was like he was possessed or something <laughs> he really played that out then just like truly just um it's like, like I said before, I love movies where you can get lost in it, man. He really just, like, captivated everybody.
0: There's the moment early on in the diner where I just think he puts his stamp on the movie. And you know this is going to be different. Because when he shows up to the diner, okay, he's just kind of a guy. But by the time you leave the diner, you're like, oh, shit, this
1: is a guy. Like fall in line like this is <laughs> not your average training officer. And the, the the couple of quotes
0: that really get your hair standing on end, I have those coming up. I'll ask this question since we don't have a really good entrance point to talking about this otherwise. Is he a truly evil character?
1: I would say no. I would say no. I think um, when we talk about, like, corruption and stuff. Oftentimes that's, like, systematic, right? So there are, like truly evil people. And then there's also people who are just become part of the system. That's not to say like, it's not his fault. Like he made a lot of choices, a lot of choices. There are a lot of people who hated him, despised him. And that one neighbor who was like, yeah, don't come here without me. Like everyone's like, like showed him like kind of respect, but they all hated him. So it's like that, that stuff only comes like, if you're not like moving, um, I guess with integrity or anything like that. So um, it's hard to say doing evil things. Absolutely. So, yeah. Troubled troubled mind. Been through it. He's learned how to play the system, but that doesn't free him of any guilt and wrongdoings.
2: Evil is defined in part by your ability to disassociate yourself from anyone else's interests but your own. And to that extent, he is evil. Is he pure evil? No, because... He's not a sociopath. He doesn't lack any level of empathy or concern for everybody else, but it's darn close.
0: I think you're somewhat defined by your actions. And when it's really revealed that he's basically set Jake up from the beginning, that him smoking the PCP was designed as part of his master plan all week, And then he takes him over to basically get contract hit by the, I'm not even sure which gang members, but the Hispanic gang. To me, that just puts it over the edge as to whether or not this guy is pure evil. When you're going to those extents, there's really no redeemable quality left.
2: And again, I say he's evil, but pure evil, he's not to the level of being a sociopath because... There are moments in time where he shows some ability to think beyond himself. Ava Mendez, his son, etc. He does have some level. But even there, there's some question in my mind as to whether he would sell them out in a heartbeat to protect himself. So I would argue that this performance
0: is actually one that you cannot see anybody else give the performance. To me, this is on par with Harrison Ford doing Indiana Jones or Keanu Reeves being Neo. You cannot see the character without seeing the actor.
2: It has to be a level of pure evil or of pretty raw evil. I think this uh, this part for Denzel, I would give it more as being Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. So I would also argue, though, and this is where I'm
0: going to shift the categories a little bit, but that he's also my nominee for most charismatic because he's the devil. But you find him so captivating the whole time that when the devil smiles at you and tells you, my man, obviously, I won't use the real word that he's using, but, (laughs) you know, you want to be drawn back in and you're like, OK, maybe he's joking. Maybe he's just setting this whole thing up. But then he will just as soon put a shotgun in your back.
1: It's the villain you cheer for every now and then. The devil
0: smiles and you come running.
1: You know, was this his first time playing, um, playing like the, the villain character?
2: Well, he was in glory.
0: Yeah, but he wasn't exactly the villain. He was kind of the rebel in that film, he'd done a lot of different work. He'd done... Malcolm X was one of his first big starring roles, I would say. And that's not a villain, although that's a very complex
2: character. And The, the lawyer in Philadelphia that represented sure Tom Hanks. The Pelican Brief, but he was yes. the
0: journalist. So he was kind of the hero character in that. I think he did Man on Fire before he did this. I want to say that's right. And I think he did Hurricane. He did Crimson Tide with uh, Gene Hackman in, I think, 97. But he's also the hero of that film. So I think this is really the first one where he's kind of an anti-hero.
1: After you're reading through that list, maybe I'm realizing, has this been the only time where he's been the villain?
0: So this would have been right around the same time he did Remember the Titans too. Yeah, I'm just... Because like the Equalizer films, he's been kind of, he was definitely the villain of Fences, because that character's not necessarily the easiest to root for, but that's a much more recent film, and that's a much more complex character. He just played Macbeth last year.
1: I, I still need to see that one.
0: So let me just look back in this. Oh, he's, uh, I would say he's an anti-hero in Flight. Oh, so I guess Man on Fire is 04. This was 2001. So he did The Hurricane, which I'm not familiar with. The Bone Collector, where he was the primary detective character. He got game as Jake Shuttlesworth. I would assume he's one of the primary heroes in that one. Courage Under Fire.
1: He got game, actually. He was uh, more of a... Uh, I don't know. I guess he's played a lot of like troubled characters. So not necessarily evil, but he was... a. Uh... You know what, no. I wouldn't say straight-up anti-hero there. He came through in the end. You know what? I I need to rewatch that movie, actually, because I think I'm confusing that with another one. Um, But uh, American Gangster, he was a... Yep. He's the central character that everyone's rooting for in the movie, but technically, you know, he's playing the criminal. Best secondary performance.
0: Dad, who did you have down? Ethan Hawke. It's where I went as well. I think it's obvious that the two acting performances at the center of this are the thing that really make the movie.
1: We had a really good contrast to Tenzel's like, um, and I think how you're describing him before, why the director chose him as you were speaking. I was like, Oh, you know, I'm not mad at that. Like I would have been interested to see Tobey Maguire in that role, but um, no, I think Ethan Hawke did what he had to do. He, uh, he killed the crush of that role.
0: There's a grittiness to him that makes you see that he could be a guy that will do what it takes to survive. But at the same time, it's easy for us to see him as the
2: innocent in this. Okay, just think about this. Okay, his facial hair, he looks like he's so young he can't even grow a beard. He's got that wispy little aftergrowth that looks like he's about 17, not in his early 30s. And that adds to the impression of his innocence.
1: I think also you could feel the nervousness when he was getting ready for work on the phone, like just trying to make, like talk, talk himself up and do all the things you're supposed to do on the first day of work, like show that you're ready for it all. And just just hung up on him. Like it definitely adds to it too. He's like, I was just trying to, a guy just nervous on his first day of work type of thing. Kind of had that feel to it too.
0: Well, and there are several moments early on where you can see the furthering of that nervousness, whether it's talking about his wife in the diner and trying to, no, I was not into my training officer. I have a wife, but he's kind of mealy-mouthed about it. Or, no, man, I'm not going to smoke the drugs. I I don't want to get caught. I don't want to lose my career. And then he holds a gun to his head, and now it becomes a serious situation. So there are some very pressure-pointed moments where he's got to start making some very difficult choices that I think he's excellent at.
1: Also, I, I wouldn't put him in secondary character, but I have to give an honorable mention to Snoop Dogg because <laughs> <laughs> that scene. I think like I, I forgot he was Snoop Dogg when watching it. And I was like, oh no, he's um, what was his name Jimmy or something? Blue or Blue? That's what it was. And just like making me believe he was actually in a wheelchair. That was just the the whole his whole presence. I, I think he added to the movie, or did at least didn't take away from it.
0: I thought it was interesting that we had several prominent roles of fairly famous rappers at the time just be kind of background characters in this movie. I mean, I, I know that we'd obviously introduced by this point in time, Ice Cube had been doing movies for probably about six, seven years and had been a star himself in at least a few different joints. But to just have these guys kind of stand around and be bystander characters that will say a line or two, and then you move on. I thought it was interesting as to add to the atmosphere of the film.
1: Walt, who did you have as best secondary? Ethan Hawke again. I think he, uh, even though he's the main character, he just, he. Uh, I think he helped Denzel shine for real. even though Denzel did everything he needed to do on his own. It was great, but it was just really cool to see that difference and the exchange between them two as well.
0: All right. And I already gave my most charismatic, but who did you have down?
1: I mean, when I was looking over this, I was like, I mean, Denzel, Denzel, Denzel. So I was trying to think of alternates that could just be like the honorable mentions. The guy who, maybe the guy who got shot, he was only supposed to take the bullet to the vest. And one ended up hitting him. I felt like he kind of brought a certain type of energy. (laughs) That was unique. And he just seemed like someone who would be kind of... Charismatic and everything. So uh, I, I'd like to mention him.
2: All right. Dad? Eva Mendez. Oh. This was the, the role that yeah. kind of defined her and turned her career into something more memorable. She had been doing basically horror films up until this point and became much more mainstream. And I will not use the phrase, she has a presence, since apparently I use that too often. But she she did come across as being somebody that was much more than just a role or a bit player. And ultimately, I guess, uh, and I was not aware of the fact that she's the other half to Ryan Gosling. Famously. um, Which I I did not know. They apparently have two two daughters together.
1: Mm -hmm. I didn't know that either.
0: Oh, really? I thought that was one of those, like, premier celebrity couples that everybody knew, like, Ben and Jennifer, or I'm trying to think of some of the other major ones here, but.
2: Yeah, I think they've been together for at least 10 years, and she's extremely beautiful. And really, you could tell that she had a lot more acting chops than she had been allowed to present previously.
0: All right, let's move to best scene then. These are the ones that I have nominated, but I will give you an opportunity to add any I missed. Breakfast in the paper, PCP, Alley mugging, chasing blue, the three wise men, returning to Rogers, Smiley, and Arresting Alonzo. Did I miss any?
1: You didn't mention the King Kong part.
0: Well that's I kind of lumped that whole ending into that arresting Alonzo part. Okay,
1: gotcha. So that's yeah. basically
0: from the minute he shows up on the cul de sac to going home, more or less. Mm. Okay. Alright. So out of all of these, what is the best scene?
1: Arresting Alonzo. Absolutely. I think one just outside of that, like the all the quotables in that last bit, but just like the uh the different elements, the uh the suspense as he's creeping up on him to try to catch him off guard to even trying to arrest him the proper way, the fight scenes, the the chase, the Climax, not knowing what's going to happen How it's going to turn at that last moment That was, um, gotta give it there That was the best singing Dad?
2: I have the car and the crack pipe I think it's the most Raw moment and shows how Wait, hold on, hold on What scene? The car where, the, where he's Smoking the crack pipe or the He never smokes a crack pipe Oh, it was a weed and PCP Weed and PCP. All right, excuse me. Be smoking the pipe, and the the concept there is is it's the best scene because what it does is it, it shows the influence the training officer ultimately can have, whether good or bad, over a recruit or or younger somebody that's supposed to be being mentored, and the interplay of what goes on, right down to drawing the gun, to me just set the tone of the film and showed how things were going to deteriorate over the next several minutes in the film.
0: For me, I think it's the tone setting opening scene at the diner. So I'll take the breakfast and the paper because at first you walk into a diner up to that point, you've been introduced to Ethan Hawke and his wife and his young child. And he has that phone call, but it kind of just seems like a rookie cop who's getting a new assignment and he's going to go meet his training officer and they're going to go on a ride along and probably go after some bad guys. It seems like a run of the mill cop drama. Then that scene drops and you're like, Oh shit, this guy's an asshole. Yeah. And to me, that was the moment where, okay, this is going to be different. So that to me, where it made me sit up and say, this is going to be different has to be the best scene because that's the one that left me with the most impact.
1: That's so interesting. I, I really liked each of those uh, moments. It's cool that we each had different ones. I actually thought I was going to say the arrest scene. <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, that's obviously I was going to choose that one. I think, um,
0: I love the three wise men too. Yeah. yeah it, that's a great scene. It's one of my favorites. It wasn't
2: my favorite.
0: So my favorite was the breakfast in the paper. What was yours dad then?
2: Robbing Roger just the interplay of the officers and seeing their own again this it's all about evil beings a complete self-interest where each of those officers were there primarily for one reason advancement and money and they didn't care what they were doing or how they were doing it they just wanted the money and the the advancement in their careers and so i just thought the whole thing was Unique and well crafted, down to Roger getting shot and then Denzel saying, "Just breathe and let it happen."
1: That, that was a good. That was a good choice there. Uh, my favorite scene, where I've listed, is actually the uh, the the pipe scene, smoking in the middle of the intersection. I, I love that scene um, in. I would have had it as the best, but I felt like the best was like the the most popular. Everyone remembers that moment, but that was my favorite because at that moment, it's like, yo, this guy is legitimately crazy. Like he pulled over in the middle of the intersection while cars are going, pointed the gun at him, broad daylight. Someone else was honking. He pointed the gun at that person, like, what? What's up? <laughs> like everything, and then that really just set. Like at that point, he had him too when he chose like, fine, I'll smoke. He's like, oh, now at that moment, he like. Got it. The plan's working. Everything goes after that. So I just love that because that was so just instant shocking, went from peer pressure to you're going to do this. And then afterwards, like, I didn't tell you, I didn't tell you to do that. <laughs> you made that choice. So,
0: Well, I think one of the other parts of that scene that we haven't really discussed is the black officer in charge with the bigger than life personality shaking down the preppy college kids for their bad laced drugs. Mm, yeah. And the complete power shift that from what normally is the case.
1: You know what? That actually, I don't hear that scene being discussed as much because I remember when I was watching and I thought there was going to be more to those characters there, especially because the the one girl in the back, she just had this look on her, and when she was reaching down, there's like so much, like them leaving and not even diving into it after left a lot of unknown there. And um, I'm not going to lie, I forgot about that scene, but you're right, there's definitely... Something there
0: most indelible moment for me then is the one that you've already mentioned a couple of times. And that's arresting Alonzo, the chase, the community coming out, them not coming to his defense and basically uniting against him that he is not serving the public. So why should they help him? I think that is the most impactful scene. And obviously I think it's peak Denzel for this movie.
2: Dead in most indelible. The same. That's the scene I'm going to remember. Is him just the indignation of, you know, like, how dare you abandon me now? I'm the guy in power. You can't just, I mean, this is an emperor. The emperor has no clothes scene. He thinks he's got all this power. And then all of a sudden he realizes he has none.
0: Walter, you we making this unanimous?
1: It's the bathtub. The bathtub. Oh, scene. yeah. Yeah. That's like, because that one got me when I've watched it for the first time and I'll never forget it. Just basically was moments away from death and he was saved because the guy decided to really just test to see if he was telling you the truth. Cause he didn't have to, we could have just like went full on seeing red and just like blew his brains out. But he's like something, something about it. He's just looking into his eyes and probably saw that same innocence. And it's just, he just took a real chance. But then even before that leading up to it, it felt almost like by that time, Ethan Hawke is like, okay, I guess I I see how this guy rolls, Denzel. Let me just go with it. I'll play cards with them. Well, he just does whatever he's doing. I don't know, but I'm just gonna sit here, try to get through it, just be a part of it. So at that moment, it felt almost like he was ready, like so close to really signing up for that 18-month thing. Before then, he was like, no, I'm going back to Traffic stop and everything, but it seemed like that was like could have been a true turning point, but instead it just turned complete other way and after that he's like, Yeah, no, it's over. I'm walking into the place that it did, told me not to go. So yeah. And of course that scene inspired a scene in other movies. Um at least one that I have top of mind. So yeah.
0: Okay. I don't remember a like to like here, so
1: share. Bright will smith's movie that was basically training Day. training day it was like a that was like a combination i know um in their promo they're like it was like training day meets lord of the rings but i felt a lot of end of watch energy there yeah and it was just it was honestly hard to enjoy that movie because the whole time i was just thinking like training day end of watch like this is almost verbatim
0: two movies i would have never combined but okay (laughs) wait hold on do you like end of watch no, I mean your description is Lord of the Rings meets Training Day. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: that that's what they they said on their campaign. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other ones where it, it makes no sense.
2: Gone with the Wind meets Star Wars.
0: No, I can see that one. Actually, because the Empire is somewhat representative of the consp- or the Confederacy, so all you'd need to do is have a Empire widow who is Uh, Married to one
2: of the stormtroopers. Okay. Oh, stars. I will never go hungry again. Yeah. I am so not looking forward to doing that movie. Oh, good. I'll just uh, move it higher up on the schedule. Fine. Go ahead. I am so, I, I, I remember watching that for the first time. I didn't watch it until after I was engaged. I watched it with your mother because her, that's her favorite book. And she thinks the movie's okay. She thought the book was so great. And I'm like, this is just the lost cause. This is this is debunked. The South was doing a noble deed. You know, they were trying to protect their rights. Yeah, their right to have slaves. Let's just get it over with. I mean, that's all it was. It's just ridiculous.
1: That's a Gone with the wind. I never saw that movie, actually.
2: Yeah, well It's four hours of your life
1: Yeah, never felt You really uh...
2: should It so represents a certain element of white America
1: mm.
0: Well, a certain part of white America Yeah Ones that often wear red baseball caps
2: Or white hoods <laughs> I feel you, I feel you
0: this is a good spot to take our second break. We'll be right back. Before we jump back into the episode, you can still sign up for our newsletter at new com. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, or now TikTok at the handle at G Mode Podcast, or find our new Facebook page under Greatest Movie of All Time Podcast. Dad, do we have anyone to remember this week? Thankfully,
2: we'll only have one, Pauline Stroud. She was 92, a British actress. She was in a uh, 1951 film, Lady Godiva Rides Again. She did about uh, oh about 10 films over a span of about 20 years. Did some television work as well. She basically had retired from acting in 1972, but she passed this week. The movie she was in, she uh, was cast over uh, such stars as Audrey Hepburn. Supposedly, this was going to be the start of her acting career that
0: she was going to be in the first year of her acting contract with a particular major studio that I'm not aware of. But at the time, she was engaged to a Greek shipping magnet who wanted her for himself and thus told her to quit acting And so because she broke the contract, she unfortunately kind of got blackballed out of Hollywood for quite a long time after that. And uh, it kind of ruined or stunted her career. She ended up doing more in ballet and stage than she ever did in formal TV and film acting after that point. But again, somebody that uh, we lost this week that contributed to the arts. And so we remember her here
2: with a moment of silence in her honor. Thank you. Let's go to best lines slash
0: funniest lines. There are a few funny lines in this one, but my first one up, Alonzo, today is a training day, Officer Hoyt. Show you around, give you a taste of the business. I got 38 cases pending trial, 63 in active investigations, and another 250 on the log I can't clear. I supervise five officers. That's five different personalities, five sets of problems. You could be number six if you act now, but I ain't holding no hands, okay? I ain't babysitting. You got today and today only to show me who and what you're made of. You don't like narcotics? Get the fuck out of my car. Go get you a nice pussy desk job, chasing bad checks or something. You hear me?
2: I always like the title drop. Dad? You gotta hide that love deep inside. You understand? Well, that was Alonzo. Walt, go ahead.
1: You don't know any stories? Okay, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper. It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it, so you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now.
0: I had that one down too. Alonzo, what a day. What a motherfucking day.
2: Alonzo, this shit's chess. It ain't checkers.
1: Alonzo, nobody told you to smoke that thing. You made the decision. Live with your decision. Ain't like I put a gun to your head.
0: Alonzo and Jake. Hey, first Dom who puts one in his head, I'll make you a rich man. Come on now, who want to get paid? Who won't get paid? They're not like you. You want to know what I learned today? I'm not like you. That's good, Jake. Glad to hear it. Good. So what you gonna do now? You gonna shoot me? You gonna bust your cherry killing a cop? Pulls out badge. There it is, Jake. Hit me. You ain't never killed nobody before. Have you? It ain't like stepping on ants, Jake. It takes a man to kill. You man enough to kill, Jake?
2: Alonzo, nothing's free in this world, Jake. Not even arrest warrants.
1: It's one of mine. Jake, it's no fun when the rabbit has the gun, is it?
0: I had that one. So, possibly my favorite line of the entire movie. Jake, look, man, I got a wife. Alonzo, you got a dick. You do have a dick, don't you? Okay, the dick lines up straight. Like that, right? To the right of it and to the left of it are pockets, right?
2: In those pockets are money. Look at either one of them. Pay the bill. Alonzo, you want to go to jail or do you want to go home?
1: You got any left, Walt? I have to relook this one up. Go ahead, escape me.
2: Oh, I'm out. I have a couple more.
1: Go ahead. It's not
2: what you know. It's what you can prove. It's a good one.
1: All right, this my last one. Alonzo, to protect the sheep, you got to catch the wolf, and it takes a wolf to catch a wolf.
0: I thought I had that one in here, and I totally missed it. Yep, all right. Yes, I did have it in here, but I forgot it. All right.
2: Alonzo, you're in the office, baby. (sighs) Uh,
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, that was good.
2: Any others, Dad? Nope, that was it for me.
0: All right. Walt, you ready for the first Stanley rubric of yours? Let's do it. All right. Legacy is up first. Dad, what do you have down?
2: Okay. Uh, Like I said, or like we've discussed, we divide the category into industry and public. There's no question in my mind that this drew a considerable amount of money. Not huge, but it was popular among the public. So I'm going to say a 4, well, excuse me, 3.5 legacy because I think at least among a large portion of the general public, they've not either seen it or seen it only one time. For the industry, I don't think it has quite the carry, and I mean, I could go through and talk about this, and it's going to also imply from the impact and significance as well, but I I have, like, about 10 different uh, movie reviews that were done. Roger Ebert kind of deadpanned the script. He thought the acting performances were great. But he's like, the last 15 minutes just left me going, really? And Michael O'Sullivan from the Washington Post said it was an exhilarating film to watch, but the end was less than satisfying. So there was a lot of deadpan as to the script itself and what took place. It was too stock and predictable. So I'm going to go with 2.5 for the industry, 3.5 for the public, for a six total for Legacy.
0: So I'm a little bit higher than you were. I think this is a movie that is somewhat of a cult classic among the general audience. I don't think it's idyllic for everybody, but those that love crime dramas and love Denzel movies, this is their movie. I think they, there are a lot of people who champion in this movie. I'm just not familiar with a huge group of people that really know and like love this movie and watch it on repeat. This is only the second time I've seen the movie, and I have enjoyed it. I actually get a better appreciation and more fondness with each version that I've watched. The first time, I was just kind of figuring out where things were going. The second time now, as I watched it for the pod... I was really starting to notice all the little things because I knew how the story would kind of play out. So I think that if I were to watch it more, I'd probably get a deeper appreciation yet again. But it's not one that for a long time, I really felt a need that I had to watch it other than it's the Denzel performance that everyone has talked about for years. And given that his status in the industry is, one of the great actors of his generation, if not the great actor of his generation, it's one of those that you have to at least watch once because you have to say that you've seen this performance. If this is the top acting performance from one of our top actors, you gotta cross it off the list at some point or another. So that leads me into the industry point of it that I would agree with you. Critically, I think it's kind of in the middle I think people like it and understand what the two acting performances are. But is this one that they're giving serious consideration for over the top of some other classics or that they've grown their appreciation over time? Probably not. I think they see it for what it is. It's two great acting performances and the plot's a little bit thin at times. And really where this movie shines is in its dialogue, not necessarily in its plot. As a result, I would say I would normally go with about a three and a half for that, but I'm going to bump it up to a four, given the fact that this is kind of becoming franchised. We already had a TV series over the last five or six years. Obviously, that wasn't long for this world, unfortunately or fortunately. I I didn't even know there was a TV series, so that might count against it. And then we're doing this prequel movie that I'm sure Warner Brothers has some high hopes for. So I'll bump it up an extra half point on the industry side of it for a four. I'll go with a down the middle three for the audience perspective because it is a cult classic and say a seven overall. Walt?
1: I have to give a five for General Public Legacy because the impact, I guess for me, this is one of those movies just like, oh, you have to see Training Day. Like I remember, I feel like I didn't see Training Day till forgot how old i was but up until then people like you haven't seen it yet like they look at you weird for having not seen that movie um definitely stands out as a classic and um industry wise i was debating between three and four because um and they'll love the movie could definitely see how um uh, you know it's there's just some things that you don't get in that movie. I think it was a really interesting story that kind of twist and turn as you go, as you're trying to unravel and figure out what's really going on as you go. And it influenced others movies uh, like the bright. And I feel like there's another one. I just, I can't put my finger on it, but I just know I've seen movies before. I'm like, Oh, training day. So Let me give it a four for the industry. So I guess overall a nine.
0: So that's a 7.33 average between the three of us. And the way you talk about Training Day reminds me of all the white people films that people were surprised I'd never seen, like Dumb and Dumber and Princess Bride. Up until like a couple of years ago, I finally got those crossed off the list. But those were the ones that you haven't seen those movies because apparently those are staples of my culture.
2: I saw Princess Bride because of Uncle Andy.
0: We'll get to that movie when we get to it, but that's another one that's like,
1: why is this a big funny deal? enough, I could probably join y'all for that movie. <laughs> there was a period of time where we only had so many like movies, like DVDs, and like my uh, younger sister, she loved that movie, so like that was movie we were. It was on all the time, nonstop.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm still wanting to know why Billy Crystal decided that an ogre needed to have a, a Jewish accent.
0: I thought he was like a troll, but okay,
2: okay, I troll. Either way, it still was Jewish. Brooklyn Jewish to boot.
0: Alright. Impact significance. For me, it's a decent box office performance, pretty much doubled its budget. Couple of accolades within the awards season. Not the biggest or best received crime or cop drama, but it's better than average. And I think the acting performances take it a little bit over the top. So I will again go for a four for industry, and I'll go at a three point five for the audience kind of on the backing that this was seen at the time, but it wasn't necessarily something that I thought lived as a cultural moment. And I can't really justify it past that. Although it was number one for seven weeks. So I have to give it some credit for that. I end up at a 7.5. Walt, let's go to you.
1: I'm going to definitely stick with the, uh, five ratings again. I think once again, this definitely, uh, impactful, um, wait, quick question, actually, is this, is this one more of an industry or, uh, public to kind of the combo before Is another split. So the way we normally f- look at the
0: categories, legacy is more long-term outside of the initial impact and impact significance has to do with the short term, probably about five years within the release of the movie. So roughly from about October 5th, 2001, up until I would say Uh, the fall of 2006 where was this did it cause some type of industry commotion did it make Denzel the biggest star in the world type of situation that type of thing would be considered within this or did it give Antoine Fuqua a bunch of other chances that he wouldn't otherwise have had David Ayer who has gone on to direct other things and been a decent screenwriter for some stuff. Did it give him some additional opportunities? Those types of things would be considered within this category. Whereas legacy is usually from about 2006 to 2022, where does this movie place? And so it's more playing with the long-term impact or how people think of this movie now and how they've thought of it for the years after that initial period. Gotcha.
1: I'd give it a four that direct impact, like like I said, that was uh, a round times where I seen posters in everyone's house that everybody was talking about that movie. I know um have uh director and Denzel worked together at least one other time, even two. I think I see no, yeah, definitely two times. Um Equalizer and um The Magnificent Seven remake. Yes, okay. Alright, I forgot about that one, because I haven't seen that one either, actually. Y'all are exposing me. I've not seen enough Denzel movies. Um, yeah. Give it a four for that one. So, you end up in a nine? Yes.
0: Alright. Dad?
2: Industry, again, the critics didn't always like the script or the outcome of the movie, the, the, the way it was done. But they loved the performances. So, just the fact of the the nominations and the win, I'm going to give it a four for the industry for that reason. And the public seemed to or be very receptive to this film. So I went with a four there for an eight total.
0: So that's an 8.16 between the three of us. Novelty. Dad, let's let you go first
2: here. I didn't give it a huge novelty score. This is a, a basically... A gangster film set instead with police and to some extent this is another version of The Untouchables with corrupt cops um, and a certain element of cops who are trying to not be corrupt so I don't give it a lot of novelty although taking it further and making it to the level that it was deserves points up And the simple fact that um, we did not advance some sort of stereotype as far as who was the bad actor and who was the novice, I think helped it as well as far as novelty. So I gave it a 7 simply because even though it wasn't the most novel, the way it was presented and how it was cast made it novel, more novel than it would normally have been.
1: Go ahead, Walt. Giving it an eight, I think. Um, I just loved the how it showed the just the web of corruption and how it just uh, just spreads across. I, I don't. I don't know if I would call it necessarily innovative because I just don't know where the other movies fall in line with that. But I just think they did a good job at almost like it was like we're watching jake learn about how everything really works behind the scenes like he had this uh boy scout mentality to police work but to like almost to get things done he had to bend the rules it was really interesting so i think kind of pushed um that sort of like cop movies and everything but um and and then also just like the supporting characters i think just have them having to come in and do their job well me forgetting that snoop dog with snoop dog and just seeing him act for real be a character um so you had to give it an eight for one.
0: So I think there are a couple of points of novelty for this. This is still made at a time where the majority of the country still trusted police, or at least empirically and implicitly trusted the police. And I think in a modern era, this actually reflects more of a feeling of where we're at now collectively than it did at the time. I think it presents a couple of additional issues that are more at the forefront now, 20 years later, than were apparent necessarily at the time, whether it intended to do so or not. So I think those things can't necessarily be ignored. That being said, crooked cop movies are not new. We've basically had crooked cop movies since we turned from white hat, black hat in westerns, And you can look at movies like Serpico. You mentioned The Untouchables, The French Connection as examples of bad or crooked cops all over cinema history. So I don't think from that standpoint, this is a particularly novel film, but this is something that's set in a modern time. It's a little grittier and it's more updated than any of the ones that really came before it. And it's the seminal crooked cop movie for my generation. So even though I think it's a little bit played out and I think you make some novel points, Dad, I think a seven seems appropriate. And so that'll make an average of 7.33 between the three of us. Classicness. Dad, your category.
2: This film is fairly well... I mean, it speaks to a problem that permeates society now, which is there's a certain element of law enforcement that probably exceeds their authority or their power. And this shows it. I would probably remove the word probably. Yeah. And it's a very diverse cast. We have uh, African-Americans. We have white America. We have middle class. We have the three wise men are either middle class or upper middle class dictating certain criminal activities for what they perceive as for the greater good. How they decide that, I don't know. We have Hispanics in the film, and it doesn't give the, or the appearance of any particular group being necessarily looked upon disfavorably. I think everybody is given the same level of spotlight. So I went with an 8.5 for classicness. There's certain elements of this that, whether it be the violence or maybe part of the reason why I gave it a little point down is I would like to believe that this is a little over the top of what reality is. Unfortunately, there's a certain element of me that questions whether I'm being honest with myself or not, but I'll go with an 8.5 for that.
0: So I do think that going back to my novelty score from a moment ago, this is ahead of its time as far as from where it's originally debuted to now. And that gives it a couple of extra points up. I would agree with you that the diversity quotient in this movie is high and that everyone seems to have a fairly equal footing, but they're also in the racial socioeconomic class that everybody assumes to be the case, with the exception maybe being Alonzo, who seems a little bit more well-to-do because of the position he's been placed in than your average black cop in, in most of these movies, Up to at least up until this point. I would say that women are particularly disposable in this movie. There's really only two prominent women, and both of them are in the line of fire, and neither of them seem to matter whenever the bullets start flying. And so they're just kind of a means to an end. And by that status, you could say maybe it's a half point down or so. I don't know if that is something that I really want to go out on a limb for when there are some other things to kind of discuss with this movie. So I'll just take something like this year's We Own the City that I mentioned before and say that this isn't far from the realm of possibility, And that those that are given a measurable power with no true accountability will always end up abusing that power. This is even more important or apparent in the last few years as the blinders have come off for the public about policing in major cities. And that being said, it obviously ups many of the events of the film for dramatic license. I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, so I will match your 8.5 just to be safe for this movie. Take the safe approach? Well, Okay. Twitter would tell me to just throw out the baby with the bathwater and just say, all cops are bad. I don't want to be that person. So rather than saying that hate mail is still reaction to the show, I'd rather just move on with my life.
2: No, and I can tell you from experience, we both have a friend who is extremely conscientious. I know the my uh, local police chief, is a friend of mine. I mean, there are a lot of good people who look at this job or occupation as public service and perform very admirably. There are also a lot of officers who look at this as a power trip.
0: Or, and I think this is also fairly prevalent, given the media attention towards cops and being the heroes in just about every situation for white TV for 50 plus years, they also look at it as something that they go into for the wrong reasons because they want to use their weapons to catch bad guys or what the perception of a bad guy supposedly is.
1: Yeah. Walt's classicness. For all those reasons and more, got to give it a 10 actually. (laughs) How to do it. Um, Hey, you do you, man. Yeah, I think... um, You know, so like in hip hop, right, when you talk about like a classic album, you think about things like Timeless and just all these different moments that are, um, just stand out from the rest for real. And I think Training Day is that movie. Like the fact it came out in 2001, 20 years later, you could look at it outside of any like film styles and this thing, the story and the acting could be present day. That movie could have came out yesterday. I think also even the the issues and everything that were talked about still being discussed today, um... And even I will say also to um, its focus on the corruption, I think it also did kind of shine the light on the types of officers who do kind of sign up to actually protect the community. I mean, outside of just Jake, when Jake was talking about his uh, um, initial training officer or someone, the woman who was uh, training him, he spoke about her very highly. Even when uh, he was asking Alonzo about like, are you going to teach me these like this Rodney King style beating? He was making a joke, and I was like, nah, man, we don't do that anymore. It's like it just showed like um, that there was some changes being made in certain officers who weren't like actual uh, positive presence in the community, at least as far as we know. So yeah, let me give it a ten. I think um, just the. uh, political statement, the storyline, um, showcasing different cultures as well. And like you were saying before, without like painting anyone in a particular bad or negative persona or light just because of what culture they're a part of. Yeah. Oh, and also, um, I think the only part that kind of made me question whether or not to give it a 10 was, uh, I think the only thing that makes me, uh that doesn't seem like it aged as well was um, when they are kind of referring to women, but at the same time, that's how people still view, or some people still view women to this day, so at the same time, even though I don't like it, it's like, ah, uh, still, still kind of realistic.
0: Yeah, I've always been caught in that position doing classicness as a category, between realistic and what you'd like the world to be, so.
1: And um, I think also, the, I feel like the the rawness and the fact that they kind of made Alonzo's character so like evil, like, just I think that probably helped it to be Thomas, because there aren't things like uh, like in a lot of movies, jokes that people lean on or rely on or different tropes like that becomes outdated. But everything just it was just like so awful that it's like still the same standards, if not more so.
0: So that is a nine average between the three of us. Rewatchability, we always give it to our guest first.
1: Ten. I would give it a nine. Definitely could easily rewatch it. But- wow. I was thinking about this a lot actually coming into it. Um I, I mentioned Man on Fire he used to be one of my favorites. I could just sit down at any point in time and re-watch it and love it the same. Um this movie I could definitely rewatch it, but not at that same level as Man on Fire. I've probably seen over six times. Even though I can't like quote it like crazy, but I've definitely seen it way more than training day. So just off that alone, bring it down.
2: All right. Dad, six point five. The reason I went with 6.5 is is I know for a fact I had righteous indignation throughout most of of this film. Watching it again will only further my righteous indignation and just want me to just be extremely critical. And In part, my guess is, is the film is set the way it is so that it actually draws people's righteous indignation. But I spend all day in the law. I spend all day trying to do what I believe is just and right. And when I, I, I don't find it relaxing or entertaining to have to be brought back into the world that I'm trying to escape from at the end of the day. So I had to give it, I, again, and I, I, you commented about your apologizing for your classicness score. The whole point of this is is to bring our own perspectives because each of us are very different people who come from different backgrounds. I have a different background for this simply because of my profession and my ex- life experiences. So that's where I went with a 6.5 because
1: of that. I'm not mad at that at all. That makes sense. I know several people <laughs> said they would never watch the movie again just because of the Yes, now that makes sense.
0: I went with an 8. It's not going to be among my favorites, but I definitely got a different appreciation for this the second time from the first time. And again, I think you watch a movie differently the second time when you're not nearly as focused on the plot and you can watch for a lot of the other little things that go on in a movie. So for me, it was entertaining. I love the acting performances. I think there are certain moments that are highly rewatchable and I could watch it just for those elements, but strung together, it's just not going to be necessarily one of my elite favorites, but it's definitely one that I I would have an affinity to rewatch every few years or so. And uh, so that's a 7.83 average between us. Audience score, we have a 90% for Google users and an 89% for Rotten Tomato users, giving us an 8.95 for that category. So to repeat the categories here, we had a 7.33 for Legacy an 8.16 for Impact Significance, 7.33 for Novelty, 9 for Classicness, a 7.83 for Rewatchability, and an 8.95 for Audience Score, giving us a final total of 48.6 and currently placing it in our master list between It's a Wonderful Life and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner.
1: Not mad at that.
0: Okay. Yep, it's kind of just making roughly about the top 50 right now. Oh, wow. So, and for context sake, for anybody out there, we have now judged 100. This will be the 125th actual different film on the list. We've had 120 or 130 episodes. We've done a few revisits here. Congratulations.
1: Oh, so this is a top 50 amongst that 100 and, um, what did you say, 36?
0: 25 different films, 25, oh, Okay. So it's in the top 40% right now.
1: Not mad at that. Happy to be here advocating for Denzel. Um, That's impressive, too, that y'all have been going on for this long. There's still so many movies out there to consider and add to this ranking.
0: We have lists upon lists of suggestions, films. I think I told you when uh, I first met you, well, or roughly in some of those first meetings uh, when we were attending Podcast Town together, I had a master list of 434 films. Oh. And we've done films that aren't even on that list. So this is probably a 10 to 15 year project. Mm, love it.
2: Yes. Love
1: it. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'll definitely be back then. I'm
2: going to do what I can to be around for that long. So.
1: Well, not only can
0: you be back, but you got to get your five timers hat.
2: Yes. Oh, okay.
0: Yes. We're trying to get Rob back on because he'll be the second one to pass the point to get his five timers hat.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm I'm uh, come ready for uh, several other movies that could be considered some of the greats. So I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going for it. What's it, who's who's had a uh, who's uh, had the most appearances so far? My mother. Ah, oh, she cheated. <laughs> Proximity.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, she's been on for a lot of the rom-coms that we've done. She's done Sleepless in Seattle with us. She did Pretty Woman. Pillow Talk,
2: which is one of her favorite movies.
0: She did Pillow Talk the first time that you kind of got ill, and we weren't sure whether you were going to make the podcast that week. Uh, She did Dial M for Murder. She did Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I think she's been on like a total of like six or seven times at this point. But Rob's got four. He's got Alien, Aliens, Die Hard, and then he was on our Godfather episode because I wasn't sure you were going to make it
1: that week either. Die Hard, incredible movie. That was... Okay. All right. Well, I won't try to beat your mom. I feel like she earned that. She earned that ranking. But I'll be uh, second. I'll be the second highest.
2: Oh, well, she got it by default. Trust me. She never even listens to the show. Well, now that you popped the bubble... We'll figure
0: out a a nice list to get you back on here.
1: There we go. loving it.
0: Even if it's just Denzel movies.
1: Hey, we could do that. I think there are
0: plenty of Denzel movies. John Q. I perform. Crimson Tide.
2: Yeah, that's actually a really
1: good film. I haven't seen Crimson Tide.
0: Yeah, it's another one where you have two seminal actors at the top of their game. Mm -hmm. Him and Gene Hackman just going off at each other Mm. as submarine boat captains. Great movie. And
2: the, the nice part of it is, I, I really enjoy films when they're colorblind, which is you just cast the best actor who fits the part, and it doesn't matter. I mean, exactly. When you get Morgan Freeman as God, you know you've arrived.
1: All <laughs> right.
0: Well, that voice—it's it
1: pretty seems darn close. Iconic.
0: All right. So, remaining questions—do either of you have any?
1: I really like the question, as far as like. Uh... Is he evil? I mean, I think that's um, it's kind of based on I don't even know what it's based on because I still I'm still not undecided.
2: Fair enough. My question is, is what ends up happening with Ethan Hawke? Is he now a corrupt cop also or is he go back to being the Boy Scout that he was? And I had mentioned that about with about four or five minutes left of the film. And the answer came in the film because they played the radio announcement of Denzel's death. And what did they say? That he died making a or executing an arrest warrant. So they covered up the or the basis of his death and made it all part of the early part of the film.
0: I don't think that has anything to do with Jake. I'm not sure that's a decision. Yes, because there's no way the wise men are two placed high up in the LAPD and you have other cops on his beat or his, as part of his division that could mold whatever story they wanted to create in order to
2: play Correct. their act. But he had to have some level of complicity. He had to keep his mouth shut or it wouldn't have worked. He got bought out. My guess is, is from the fact that that happened is as they said, okay, we're not going to make you join within this underworld. But if you want to keep most of the money, feel free. Just keep your mouth shut and we'll put you in whatever position you want.
1: He didn't take any money. You know, that's actually going to be. He
2: took the money. That's going
1: to be one of my questions. He took the money with him as evidence. Mm. Evidence of what?
2: I don't know. He got killed in an, uh, executing an arrest warrant. There's no evidence. Where'd the money go? I think the money was in I his trunk, I assume right? he was going to use it to turn it in. I, did, did he? He kept the money. Some of it probably ended up in the pockets of the wise men covering it up. He got the money.
0: I'm sorry. You and I interpret the end of this film in a very different way then because I, I think he was going to attempt to do the right thing and yet again be caught up in the system. And that's what my first of two remaining questions is, is, if he tries to go to war with the wise men and the rest of Alonzo's division, is he going to be caught up in something that he's clearly outgunned for, or oh, yes. is he going to eventually be victorious? I think that would be the sequel.
2: No, it's not. There's no, uh, there's no question that he's not going to be victorious. He'll be eaten alive.
1: I feel like he has to know that he can't, uh, it wouldn't work out. Cause like, uh, like, what Alonzo was saying, the whole movie. It's not what you know, it's what you can prove. And he was looking to arrest arrest him and then that final scene, the arrest scene, is like, I mean, try, what what's gonna happen? And I feel like he knew. But um y- y'all are saying that he took the money. I, I remember re watching and I was like, I, I don't know in particular if he really walked off with the money or not, did he? Like did we see it? Yes he did. But he
0: said, I'm keeping it as my evidence and that's why he shot him in the ass.
1: Oh, see, I thought maybe he didn't because uh, when Denzel was getting shot up by the Russians, he he got out of his car and it looked like he was trying to gesture to the trunk, like he had this key in his hand and he was just kind of like pointing with it. And like at that moment, that made me question, like, oh wait, did he get the money or not? Was it was it in the trunk? And the Russians just like quick to pull the trigger, or was he just trying to give him whatever he had in the trunk as like uh, because he did have other things with money in it, like those. Like when he went off to the um, that one house to <laughs> turn uh, Jake in, basically, um, he brought that uh, coffee machine and it had money in it. So I thought maybe he either still had the money, just had some of the money, was trying to give him a little bit to hold off, give him more time, or he had it all.
0: I don't know. I also don't know if Jake is ultimately successful in this film if he doesn't have the backing of two outsized influences in the movie that we don't really see much of one where we clearly don't really see them. And the other one that we only somewhat see them. And that's the neighborhood at the end who doesn't really lift a finger to try and help him because they all hate him and the Russians. If he doesn't have the pressure from the Russians hanging over Alonzo's head, is he ever really going to be able to take him down? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's an outsized influence on the rest of the film because it's a source outside of them that is going to place undue pressure. You're going to die if you don't get a hold of this money. Yeah. My only other remaining question is, did Alonzo specifically pick Jake for this assignment? If he's been planning it all week, did he know a personality profile and pick specifically Jake to be his
2: patsy? Hmm. I think it would be too much to pick a particular individual, but I think in this particular circumstance, you could take cop A, cop B. I don't think it matters. I think they're all going to be about as naive and having the desire to please their training officer that uh, it wasn't going to make any difference.
1: My only reason for saying maybe he did pick him is because he, uh, several times where he could have gotten rid of Jake and he'd say, no, 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 we we got it. We got to see him out. He he was invested to a particular point in keeping Jake. in. I think up until after um, they shot the Sandman's informant, and that was, uh, I think that was probably like the f- point where he decided, no, I got to get rid of him. But he was like, cause they could have killed him off in that house. But he's like, no, no, he's got something special. Got something special. I could see it. And I don't think that was just to persuade him. I, th- I think he was uh, genuine there. Say they had leadership potential, but that could have all been part of it too. But I think he was picked.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for being on for your first time, Walt. We are certainly looking forward to whatever you pick for your
1: next jaunt on the show. But where can people find your work? Once again, thank you for having me on. I know this is like two years in the making. Um, can find me at Boss Locks Media.com. And wherever you're listening to this show, you can find my show as well Boss Locks, The Story of New Growth. It's a nice yellow cover art, this animated picture of myself on it. Yeah, I'm actually working on bringing back season two. I took a super hiatus. I think I should win the award for longest hiatus, <laughs> and I'm bringing it back, working on bringing it back this this October with a few um, mini episodes leading up to it, to starting towards the end of September. So look out for me, follow, as we learn about, uh, to speak to black leaders from all around the world to identify the range of blackness and dig into the story of new growth. So,
0: I would personally recommend the show as well. One I've been following since uh, we kind of met up a couple of years back. But uh, I'm still waiting on my episode of Black Jeopardy to be on
2: yet.
1: <laughs> I was just talking to someone about that a while ago. I the other day I was thinking about that Brought back memories with you and Elsie. <laughs> Talk to you all about that. Yeah. If anyone has $10,000 for me to put it on. I don't know how much it would cost to make it how I want to make it, but yeah, I'm, I think that I think that will get me started.
0: Well, good times. Dad, any final thoughts for the week?
2: No. <sighs> We, uh, for the audience, uh, we record about a week before the actual episode is released. Um, so we're actually recording on September 7th. Friday would have been my parents' 61st anniversary. The network and such is named after my father, whose life had been a very difficult life as a child and was made better by his ability to sit and watch movies all day on a Saturday in the late 1940s when he was a child. And uh, that love of movies obviously impacted me and has impacted you, Tom. And uh, knowing that that's the basis for me and for you, I just thought I would mention that.
0: Well, thank you. That'll do it for us this week. Thank you for listening. Where are you headed, Cowboy? Cowboy. Nowhere special? Nowhere special. I always wanted to go there. Next week, we will be discussing a Steve Martin classic of the 1980s with a star-studded cast. Parenthood from 1989, directed by Ron Howard, written by Lowell Gans, and Babalu Mandel. Starring Steve Martin, Keanu Reeves, Rick Moranis, Joaquin Phoenix, and Diane Wiest. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that you can join in in our fun. You can also email the show at thenewronnyduncanstudios.com or sign up for our newsletter. Find our new Facebook page under Greatest Movie of All Time Podcast, or find us on Instagram, Twitter, or now TikTok at the handle at G-Mode Podcast.